I have returned. And today I have with me Liam Jenkins, hailing all the way from Devon, England, right? Yeah, you got it. Do you know what? I think you're the first person to get it right first time. I'm impressed. Well, you know why that is. My middle, oh, my middle name is actually Devon, but people always pronounce ah. it Devon. Gotcha. That yeah. makes sense. I like that. <laughs> I was going to ask you, I need you to go ahead and put me in contact with some of your officials because I, I think the, you know, I, I just want to throw it out there, but you could change it to Devon, England. I, it's not a, it's not, a, I'm not opposed to that. <laughs> I think it would sound a lot cooler than it actually is then. Though. At least Devon sounds a bit lame. Like you get to Devon, you're expecting fields and cows and not much going on. You call it Devon and you expect, oh, hello, that sounds right. good. Right. I want, oh, I want to go Devon, England. Devon. And it'll be a massive letdown otherwise. So I think we'll, we'll keep the, the cool name for you and we'll keep the lame one. <laughs> I appreciate that. Speaking of names, man, yours is gaining a lot of traction, right, in the Philadelphia sports media business. And, you know, I remember coming across uh, Philly Sports Network about a year ago. And just to see within that time frame how much has grown, it's really remarkable remarkable man what you're doing thanks well, i appreciate it mate it's been um i don't know i'd say a really weird 12 months because i mean i went full-time with psn about a year ago so i've been doing mm-hmm. it for about six years but a year ago was when i walked away from my part-time job and was able to dedicate and it's i think it's been so chaotic both good bad like learning experiences of trying to take it from a hobby to a full business like that you forget, I think, how much progress you're making. Until you, it's a sort of thing where if you keep climbing, you don't stop to admire the view right. sort of thing. So it's like it's easy to lose sight of, I think, just how many people we do reach now or how many eyes are on us. And it's it's really humbling. Like when we hit 10 million views the other month overall, I like broke down because it, it didn't hit me. Like It just randomly happened. And I was like, oh, my God, we've just hit that. That's unreal. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's one of those things where, I probably don't really realize uh, like we are where we are. I just kind of keep my head down, try not to pay attention to too much of the social media noise, be it good or people saying stick to soccer um, <laughs> and then keep moving. But it's, it's a lot of fun. Gotcha. What, what motivated that decision, right? To, to say, I'm going to walk away from my job and I'm going to completely dedicate to myself to, to Philly sports network. What, what, what went into that? Um, it was always the aim. Like I told myself when I first made the website that uh, I remember uh, someone that I knew at the time told me that it takes five years to blow up overnight. So mm. I always kept that saying like really close to my heart. And I was all right, five year plan. We'll, we'll see where we take it. And if it hits year five, then, you know, we have to swallow a very tough pill and look at either going full time at my other job so I can make ends meet mm-hmm. and go on the back burner a bit or something else. And then I think the YouTube channel really started to pop a little bit towards the end of 2018. Yeah, we see, I'm all getting confused now with the years. Uh, all towards the end of 2018, and it started generating a bit of revenue. And I promised myself that the second it reached even as much as to pay my rent, mm-hmm. that I would go. Like it was just that jump I needed. And then at the time, I was interviewing draft prospects and there was an agent who I was in contact with and talking to one of his players. He enjoyed the article that we put out and then was like, well, would you mind doing some written content for me? And I was like, well, I'm kind of, you know, trying to quit my job and run my business. And he was like, well, I'll match what your other employer pay for six months. And then after six months, we can revisit it. So for me, that was like a bridge to A, not only work with someone in the industry, mm-hmm. but B, give me a lot more time to then fl- like throw into the business. And then after six months, like we just kind of agreed that it was best that we separated. It was never bad. Like, it, was, it was an absolutely brilliant experience, but one that 
I felt we both knew that I had to focus on my business because it was just my ultimate priority. Um, and then, yeah, we never looked back, but that was the ultimate bridge of kind of taking the YouTube channel, making that promise that I'm going to take the jump as soon as I can. And then having that little bit of a helping hand from like the most unlikeliest of places was, uh, yeah, it was uh, a really whirlwind couple of months for sure. So sometimes that's how it goes, man. This is just an opportunity presents itself and you, you, you grab at it, you grab at it. Um, I want to ask you this, because this is what's always kind of not not eating at me, but just uh, it's always existed in the back of my head. When I first came across your channel, I think it was a video covering draft prospects, actually, because I'm really into the NFL draft and specifically because I'm an Eagles fan. I want to, you know, target potential draft prospects for the Eagles. And I clicked on the video and I'm like, what the hell is this English dude talking about? (laughs) You know, how did how did you end up an Eagles fan, man, from where you're at? Uh, it started with Madden is the old story and it's like I feel really? like that this has become such a staple now of, of the brand but I was I think I was 14 years old around that sort of age was begging for an Xbox at the time because all my friends were getting Call of Duty and it was like Halo 3 at that point and I really wanted one and after a lot of begging and nagging I finally got an Xbox but the only game it came with was I think it was Madden 08 I, I never remember if it was 08 or 09 because I had both of them mm-hmm. but I think it was 08. So he started playing that and I had no idea what was going on. I wanted to play Call of Duty 4, but I was like, all right, Madden it is, let's let's go. Um, and it was okay. I was like, all right, I, I like the premise of this. I didn't know what it was before. Right. I started a franchise mode, randomly selected the Eagles and it went from there. Like That was the team that I started knowing all the players about. And then in a couple of years when I started watching the sport properly, that was the team I gravitated towards because I knew LaShawn McCoy and Deshaun mm-hmm. Jackson and, and Jeremy Macklin and that sort of thing. And I was like, you get familiar with them. And then it was like the culture of the city and the underdog attitude and this us v everyone sort of thing, which right. is a skinny six foot three kid that was bullied most of his life. Like I, that was the first sports team I resonated with a lot. And I was like, I had that chip on my shoulder. I could see that in a team and I fell in love with it. And then obviously years down the line, when I went to make the website, it all kind of um, happily fell into one place. And and here we are. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's a similar story. I I think based on your timeline, you might have actually been an Eagles fan before I ever became one Um, because I I was actually I was born in New Jersey. So I had family that was uh, they were they were Philly fans, but I actually moved to Georgia very early on and I became a huge fan of Michael Vick. Right. That was that was popping off at that time. He was on the cover of Madden, like you were talking about. That was the dude. Um, And then when he ended up going to prison, you know, I kind of stepped away from being a fan of football. And then when he came back he went to philly so that's why i gravitated to the team um so it's it's funny to think that you've probably been a fan longer than i have but you, you mentioned 08 i think that was was that vince young on the cover yeah or, okay yeah, yeah. yeah i mean that, that that was um that was that, that that game will make a lot of fans out of a lot of people man like they yeah, i don't are you any good at it <laughs> what was i no you know, that's the worst thing i'm terrible at it <laughs> and even now like I get so much stick from my friends because obviously I do like Eagles film room and Mm -hmm. I spend so much time watching coaches film and study and stuff. And I get into Madden and I don't know what I'm doing. And I I just genuinely, it's like four verticals or PA crosses every play. I can't even, I don't Um, even blame you from that. It's really embarrassing. I wish I was better. Cause you know what the the, the thing is that I always try to explain this to my friends because I'm terrible at it too. I'm terrible at all sports games. And it's like, you know, you spend so much time studying the functions of how 
it's supposed to operate that, you know, when you actually get in the game and it's not that realistic and Lamar Jackson fumbles every time he gets touched, it's like, you know, I can't I can't work with this. People know how to play the game. But guys like you and me, we kind of know football more than we actually know the functions of a Madden controller. So it's interesting, man, because I think I find that pattern in a lot of people where the guys who really sink their teeth into knowing that the sport suck at the game you know whatever whatever that's fifa or uh or nba 2k or madden it's a funny pattern um but i I do want to ask you along this journey uh of creating philly sports network and and, you know you talked about five years to blow up overnight i really i'm I'm a put that one in my back pocket. I'm, I like that phrase a lot. Um, but, you know, I'm still trying to build this podcast right from the ground up. You tried to, you had to build an entire media network. So what, what's the, the, the most difficult aspect of building something like that from the ground up? I, I would say it's the, the harder days. If I'm honest, it's knowing that like, there's always that image, right. That went around the internet ages ago with the minor mm-hmm. and he's like, giving it up and turn it away and then the image beneath him is that like there's a, a massive pan of gold like an inch behind the next rock yeah and it's it's that sort of thing where there are so many troubles that i can't put into words how many times something went horribly horribly wrong or i mean so when i first started the website would crash anytime an article went semi-viral and i don't, I don't mean like thousands and thousands of views i mean like over a hundred views the website would crash which is really bad if it got a typo um we, we then had stuff like where we'd had to part ways with writers um for various reasons some of them more serious than others and yeah. um, we'd had instances where there were some like I, I don't know just the serious problems just with the website or the branding or the content and it's it's trying to do that alongside a part-time job where I've said this to a few people, but for three years when I was working at Apple, or the best part of it was in the city up from me. To Wait, train at seven a.m. Can I can I stop you? You worked at Apple? Yes, yeah, I was a specialist. Yeah, dog, man, I did not know that you worked at Apple. Yeah, yeah, yeah dude, that that was my. So I worked at a DIY store and hated it because I mean, if you go to a DIY store and you buy a load of fence posts, you do not want this guy taking them to your car for you. They're going to get dropped everywhere. Man. So that that didn't end well. And mm-hmm. I somehow got in at my local Apple store, which was an hour away mm-hmm. um, as a specialist. And honestly, the biggest thing I took from there was like, I was being very low key about, look, this is the biggest company in the world or one of them. Mm-hmm. How do they, like, why are they here? What makes them so different? Why is Apple, Apple? Um, and they just put such an emphasis on people as opposed to the products. And it's like mm. the products sell them as a, as a salesman for Apple, like the products sell themselves. Someone comes in saying, I want an iPhone. They know why they want an iPhone. I don't need to give it the bells and whistles. Right. Like they could get an iPhone from anywhere. Like why do they want it from Apple specifically? And it's that same thing with news. Like you can get a headline from anywhere, from any ride to any network. Why would someone come to PSN? And it's, I think it's a personality and it's trying to take, Apple's values and putting it in people first. Mm. So like I always say PSN's a big family. That was quite a tough thing on retrospect, like trying to build that team up. Right. I always like building a sports team, like you're trying to find people who share the right mindset that most importantly aren't just going to try and mess with you or screw you over or take what they want and then dip for a better opportunity. Mm-hmm. You want people that are going to be in this with you in the trenches to build this out as best as we can. 
Um, and once you've got that core team and you support each other, for lack of a better term, on and off the field, <laughs> it's it's a dream dynamic, you know. And I'd go to war with any single one of them. Like I honestly, I adore the team we've got, and it just takes time. And you know, for every amazing writer or personality and character you find, there's one that will try and sneak away or, or may not be best for your brand. But that's with every sport, you know. For every Oh, well, what's it got? Jason Tatum, there's a Markel Fox. You know, mm. it's it's that same sort of thing. You've got to just be aware. But I think, yeah, the, the toughest thing overall, and it's been a really long winded answer, is, is just sticking through it. Like, um, I'll, I'll give an example because I don't think I've spoken about it heavily before. And it's going to be quite interesting. But back in 2016, I want to say, so the second year, I was meant to go out for training camp with the Eagles. I was meant to fly out. They said they'd like look after me, like show me around, get oh, wow. to know what we're trying to do, which I thought was outstanding. Um, we had a writer at the time who was interviewing loads and loads of Eagles players out of nowhere, just interviews left and right. And it was incredible. Um, until I got an email from the Eagles saying, hey, just had a chat with Nelson Aguilar. He said he's never spoken to this writer. And I was like, oh, hell no. Oh. Like, what do you mean? So the guy basically been lying about his interviews and, 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 and forging like quotes and stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. lord! So, so I had no idea. Obviously, like I had full trust in him, so I didn't know what came next. I was like, I, at the time as well, it made it even worse. I was at the dentist having like a, a thing on my tooth because my gum got infected. So I was oh. in agony. Got home, <laughs> like bored my eyes out to my mum thinking like what if I've ruined everything I've worked for like what's going on luckily it all got cleared up the Eagles were really understanding I think at the time I was like 19 so they were a little bit more lenient than mm-hmm. if I'd been around and done it now sort of things you know what I mean right they were quite understanding of the fact it was early days like I parted ways with the writer and like that was hard as a 19 year old trying to fire someone right that's not easy um, but as an example like that, for every moment you have where it's so dark and you're like, what the hell is going on? Where do I go from here? You then have something where you hit a milestone, like the, the views or the subscribers or the NFL draft live stream where we had like 40,000 views wow. over a weekend. And we were there for like nine hours a day. Just like, it was crazy. Man. And you have so many wholesome comments in that and you build a community and it just makes up for every like rough patch along the way. So just learning to keep your nose to the grindstone and not letting those setbacks kind of define your journey. Like, let it be a part of it and play into the success, but don't let that be the end of it. Like, and on a good note, don't go out on a bad one because you'll you'll regret it forever. Very true. Very true. You gave me the perfect segue, man, because the next thing I wanted to talk about was this this 2020 Eagles draft class. Um, mm. I, I've been on record on this podcast as saying that the Eagles were far and away the loser of, of, of this year's draft. <laughs> without a shred of a doubt in my mind were the losers the losers of the 2020 nfl draft and it's not even close y'all you know to be frank i wasn't a fan of the class at all i didn't like rager as a pick especially when you had jefferson still sitting on the board especially when you had a guy that i know you like denzel mims was still on the board at that point in time um the hurts pick didn't make any rational sense to me whatsoever. Um, and then from there, it just seemed like the Eagles went and they just targeted really good athletes that, you know, they're, they're very volatile as football players. You don't know whether they're going to be really good or really bad. And I'm not sure if the Eagles were in a position right now 
to to take those sorts of risks. You have an aging roster, right? Like you need to get people that you know will be solid foundation building blocks for the foreseeable future, not guys that, you know, could be really good or could crash and burn in two years. Um, but I know that you were pretty optimistic after the fact, right? You know, Eagles fans, we were pretty, we were all over the place, the initial picks while they were happening. But um, after the fact, you, you've had some pretty good, um, you've had some pretty good takes in terms of being optimistic, reasons to be um, favorable towards this draft. So I, I want to give you your opportunity to speak your two cents on it um, before we go back and forth a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you can view it in such a multitude of ways. I think the ultimate reality is that we're not really going to find out about the Jalen Hurts pick, for instance, until this season's done. Like, if 2020 ends and Hurts rides the entire bench and Wentz stays healthy and there's no need for him to play and he's not part of the offense like I'm dreaming he will be, right. then it's pointless and I, I will never understand it and you can make those arguments all day every day especially when going into that off season the Eagles have uh, they're like 50 million over the cap space like right now like they've got a lot of work to do mm. and you could have taken a pick like that to add a franchise defensive end and let someone like Derek Barnett go who will now have a, a potentially monumental cost at that point Right. so I get that Jalen Rager for me was my fourth highest receiver graded of anyone in terms of needs for the Eagles. So I did it last year with the running backs and I had Miles Sanders like seventh. And I just take traits that the Eagles would look for in a receiver and then grade them solely on that. So like, yes, for instance, uh, Justin Jefferson may have been the better receiver overall, may have been a twitchier outrunner, whatever. But in terms of what the Eagles need and what they look for, speed. um, Yeah, exactly. And I think that and the fact that Rager to me is like a budget version of those top three guys all in one, where he can do it all. He does have return experience. He suffered from terrible quarterback play. And at the end of the day, like, if you, the Eagles took a slot receiver early on, like, yes, Jefferson could play outside, but you, they're, they're then going to got Marquise Goodwin. And even if they didn't, my argument is that Deshaun Jackson played like 40% of his snaps with Tampa Bay from the slot. Yeah. Last year, in the one game he played for the Eagles, his first touchdown was from the slot. If you've got Rager outside and Deshaun Jackson in the slot and your possession guy, so I'm assuming it's going to be Arthega Whiteside or whatever creative formation they have, it's a problem. And I think that if you get a slot receiver, you're kind of putting a cap on Jackson being your outside guy for a whole year, which we don't know he's going to be able to hold up for that long. And that's the harsh reality of that yeah beyond it i mean there are some project players like hurts i think going back to like the offensive coaching stuff they've added where you've got um guys like andrew weiner uh, rich gangarello people that have facilitated the growth of some really athletic really like dual threat quarterbacks yeah you can see like look if they're gonna do this dual threat passing thing that press taylor may have alluded to a year ago this is the time to do it because you've got Scangarello who suddenly went very play action to get guys open, which is bizarrely what the Eagles did to get Carson Wentz and his playmakers open last year. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can facilitate that, if you can bring Jalen Hurts in as that second quarterback, as a Taysom Hill, whatever it may be, then great pick. I love it. If not, I'm not a fan. And that's, again, not something we can really bridge until it happens. It's like, unless, if Jalen Hurts comes out in week one and scores a rushing touchdown and a receiving touchdown, is anyone going to complain about the pick? Hey, I'll I'll eat my words right now if that happens. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I mean. So it's like, we've got to be a bit cautious, but Davion Taylor, like it, but again, very raw. Only has two years of college experience. So I like the skill set, but my counterpoint with that is that 
they don't use a lot of linebackers. Like they use two linebacker sets a lot. Yeah. And I I wrote an article on it on this, but I liken it to the Chargers defense where they faced the Ravens in 2018 in the wildcard game, which was like amidst the Lamar Jackson breakout as a rookie where no one knew what the hell the Ravens were right. doing. Um, and they fielded like seven and eight uh, sets of defensive backs. Like there were virtually no linebackers on the field. You had your front three, three or four, the rest were corners and safeties to try and take away this width that you're not going to get a big beefy linebacker stopping Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. And the teams the Eagles face this year where you've got the Saints, the Ravens, the Seahawks, dynamic playmakers like Saquon Barkley, like you're going to have to match it one way or the other. Even if you get to the Super Bowl, if it's the Chiefs, it's the same problem. It's speed on both sides of the ball. So I get the move. It just might not be the most impactful. Um, the rest of the guys are project level. Like I think Jack Driscoll could be a nice potential interior guard or centre over the next couple of years. Like obviously bringing up a teammate in Prince Tega Wanago. Yeah. Not the first time they've done it. They got a Vitae Matt Pryor together as well out of TCU. So there's clearly a, a rhyme and a reason there. And it's Jeff Stoutland. I don't think he's ever given us a reason to doubt anything just no, yet. No, not at all. Um, and then finally, I mean, like John Hightower is like my ultimate wide receiver crush of the draft like the amount of tweets I was making before the draft of like um, gonna make it only fans of just John Hightower clips like <laughs> I, I fell in love with his tape man he became like one of my dream draft crushes so when he got picked like he retweeted a video of me like screaming on our live stream because I was so stoked um, I don't know what kind of ceiling I'll have with the Eagles um, probably as a slot receiver first mm-hmm. maybe looking to take over a Marquise Goodwin role if he doesn't stick around but um, I'm excited for him I think he could be a real wild card like Kez Watkins might be a little bit more of a project yeah. but has got way more speed like Hightower is like I, I think I liken him to a very budget Van Jefferson of like a, okay. a sort of well-rounded receiver that has can do a bit of everything but nothing overly like that's his one dominating trait it's not speeds his thing or possessions his thing mm-hmm. or separation so he will do it all but nothing stands out as incredible um so that's a nice weapon to have so yeah my overall like i think there are reasons to be optimistic like they probably went a bit too heavy at wide receiver for my liking yeah. um in cornerback there are questions at linebacker there are I love what they did at safety. Kayvon Wallace is an absolute stud. Um, he's a big friend of PSN as well. I think we've sent him a t-shirt. He loves us. So really? that's always uh, definitely, definitely not played into the fact why we love him. Um, <laughs> and yeah, man, it's, I think overall it's like, it's one of those classes where there's a lot more intrigue than there is stability. But that kind of adds to it, if that makes it. It's not like you're going in with, right, this guy will be produced in year one, year mm-hmm. two, whatever. But there's a lot less of, well, this guy's coming off a massive season-ending injury. This guy hasn't played at this level before. This guy's done this. Like, there's a lot more understanding, I think, of what they're trying to do. Right. And and I agree. I do think that the intrigue, it, it makes it fun for us, right? Because we get to talk about these things. But it, it just, it, it concerns me that it almost felt like Howie Roseman it was a bit scrambling after day two, after he saw the, the reaction of what the picks were and the, the dissatisfaction. or Maybe it wasn't even because of that. Maybe he just felt like he dropped the ball a little bit. But it seemed like he was like, OK, let me go ahead and try to get a John Hightower and a Quez Watkins and a Marquise Goodwin. Let me try to you know shoot a bunch of shots at a bunch of guys who might turn out to be pretty good deep threats but in all likelihood they they don't have a high likelihood of, of doing that so it was just I, I i i was not a fan man 
I can't justify a lot of the picks. I did like Kevon Wallace. I think he has championship DNA, obviously coming from Clemson. Um, yeah. And a lot of these guys have the potential to have pretty high upside. It's just the floor. You know what I mean? The the, the floor. Yeah. It's it's the Eagles weren't in a position this draft to. I feel like take risks. It, it was um it, they needed to get guys that they were confident in could contribute in some capacity to the football team. I look at this list of draft picks and it's like more than half of these guys could be off the roster in a matter of two to three years. And that that's, that's, that's too concerning for me. I think the wor- the only worrying aspect I see is this off season in particular, because OTAs aren't happening. Yeah. You're going to have a shortened training camp or limited or whether I know MLS are discussing quadrants and, and that sort of thing to work out. So mm. it, whether you can have padded practices and live hitting, I mean, even the edit, Oh, excuse me, like the NHL is coming back um, and you've got a Pittsburgh player that's now got the, the COVID virus. So we don't know what extent camp will return in. And if you're trying to get rookies up to speed, I understand they made a lot of coaching staff changes, but let's be honest, JJ Arthega Whiteside had to learn an entire playbook in Arabic before he was allowed to take a snap. <laughs> um, we don't know, like looking back, Doriel Green Beckham, Shelton Gibson, Bryce Treggs, there are guys that tried and have taken low flyers on, haven't worked out. Yeah. I get that. Um, that hurts, especially with uh, someone like Davion Taylor, for instance, who is very raw. And if he gets put on a field, I feel like offenses would overload him. They'll try and make him snap or like just pull him down in towards the line of scrimmage only to then throw a play action over the top. Like yeah. something like that. Um, where those inexperienced players are going to suffer a bit more. A wide receiver is not that much of a concern because I'd like to think that if you've got speed guys, you just get them implemented. But again, you go back to Nelson Aguilar and Golden Tate and that they're trying to do the same thing on two different occasions, haven't been able to. So I think this offseason in particular is so, so important for so many different guys. I'd I'd like to think that there'll be a kind of let-off period of, do you know what? If this guy doesn't contribute, not the end of the world. If Rager has 300 yards, it's not the end of the world in the bigger picture so long as the team is winning and it's the vets doing the the dirty work. Um, Whether or not the media will be as understanding, I mean, then again, I'm the same guy that gave Mike Grow a pass in year one, so I don't know how much you want to buy into that, you know? (laughs) Um. Yeah. It, it. It'll. Time will. Time can only tell. Right. Time can only tell how these guys are going to turn out. I do want to address the the defensive back core. Um. Because mm-hmm. that's something that was only targeted. You. You got Kevon Wallace, and then they they said, okay, we we got our corner, obviously, and and they're moving finally, finally, finally making that shift with Jalen Mills from corner to safety, which is something that really should have been done uh, a long time ago by estim- <laughs> by my estimation, because the dude he's built like a safety he plays like a safety you watch him play corner it's like okay that's clearly you know he's playing a safety he's a safety playing out of position right now um so i want to get your opinion on on what that you think that could look like for next season you mentioned having you know the 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 eagles like to employ two linebacker sets it frustrates me that they they let um kemu gruje hill walk i I really thought they were going to retain him but um talk to me a little bit about what you think that the db core could look like next year it's it's really interesting, like really interesting. I think that in a lot of ways they've had to try and negate the loss of Malcolm Jenkins and someone that could play literally everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like that, that one. was someone that was just an, an unbelievable athlete, an unbelievable leader that was so good in and out of the pocket. I'm not sure overall what happens next in terms of like who fills that role. I feel like 
Will Park is going to be a, a very key guy to watch. There's so? someone that played like Mike Linebacker at times for the Broncos last year. Like he's a thick dude. He's very aggressive, uh, patient in his reads. Like I love his love his game. I think Kayvon Wallace would be the natural successor. Jalen Mills is intriguing. Um, if you want an estimation of how they'll use him, if you've got access, I don't know how long Game Pass is free for, but I know they made it free for quarantine. And if yeah. you can watch the coaches' film. Eagles versus Patriots last year, they used Jalen Mills like everywhere. Like out of no, they've never done it before. And out of nowhere, he's got like 40% of his snaps in the box and he played at free safety at one point and then summer at slot corner. Um, mm-hmm. you can see that they've clearly liked something, but I, I think the same as you. And I feel that Rizal Douglas was another one who should have been moved to safety a yep. long time ago and hasn't. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of those DBs playing as linebackers or inside those like run fit sort of looks um, I think McLeod's going to be a single high guy over the top but the person to watch as always someone like Jalen Mills because that CB2 battle is exactly the same as it was last year Exactly. like Jalen Mills was injured last year and there was so much complaint after week three of oh they didn't do enough at corner this offseason they didn't do enough um, Sidney Jones this Sidney Jones that was all Douglas this he's slow whatever you're now in the same space again, only this time you're going to try and, I'm assuming, push Avante Maddox out there, who's 5'9", which, if he can hold his own, fine, but it's inconsistent. Like yeah. He's got outside starters under his belt. I think he's way more suited to the nickel, but then you've got Nickel Roby Coleman and LeBlanc, so Sorry, he's sort of right already there, yeah. forced into that room just to get him on the field. So if the CB2 battle doesn't end as anticipated... There's that threat of, well, Jalen Mills has played corner for like four years for us. We can just move him over. It's not the end of the world. So there's that looming threat for the younger guys of, well, if we're not up to scratch, then they'll just move Mills outside and it'll be Slay and Mills. So it's something to watch. I think that cornerback two spot is going to tell us a lot um, by the time that the end of preseason rolls around. And by my estimation, I would really put Razul Douglas out there. Um, I'm more confident in him than the, the rest of the guys, especially, you know, I'm, I'm, the jury's still a little bit out on, on Sidney Jones, but I'm trending in a direction of not liking him as much as I did when the Eagles first drafted him, just because there's been plenty of time and moments for him to step up, and I, we haven't seen that yet. Um, but I, 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 I desperately don't want to see Jalen Mills at corner anymore if they want to play him in that slash role I'm all for it because I think he could thrive in that role but if I have to watch Jalen Mills bite on another double move on the outside I think I might just have to turn stop watching Eagles football for a little while because that that's that time and again I don't understand how you can get beat like that by the same move um but what do I know, right? I, I'm, I, I played high school football. Um, I, yeah, I didn't even do that, so I, I can't talk. But, <laughs> um, it's, it's hard, though. And I think, I mean, I've always made this analogy. I put a video out last year, and it's the most disliked video on our channel. Really? Saying that a, a day after the move, I was like, signing Ronald Darby was the worst move of the offseason. And everyone shouted at me, and I was like, oh, he's so good, he's so cheap. But I was like, no, he's not. Like, the problem is... That in that combination, in another scheme, he might be okay. Like I, I don't think Washington's a fit for him. But um, on one side, you've got Darby, who's quick but can't tackle. Right. The other side, you've got Mills, who's slow but can. So it's like, if you want to go underneath, you attack Darby. You want to go deep, you attack Mills. It's that easy to beat this Eagles defense, especially when they're playing 10 yards off the ball. Yeah. Um, with Darius Slay, that changes. And I don't know how much this scheme will change, whether they'll do a lot more press, whether... 
they will be a lot more confident in putting those corners closer to the line of scrimmage as they've sort of experimented with doing over the last year or so mm-hmm. very loosely. Like it wasn't ever enough to be like, all right, well, Schwartz has made a clear adjustment. But I'd like to think that that takes some of the pressure valve off of the safeties, off of the corner on the other side of the field. Sidney Jones, I love. I just think that it's a consistency thing. It really raised alarm bells to me when Doug Peterson and Malcolm Jenkins both called out his mental toughness mid last year. Mm. That didn't sit well. I was like, that's not good. But then he comes back and makes a flurry of like random heroic pace at the end of the year. So maybe he needed that jolt. Was all Douglas to me. I know they've like had trade talks with him for a while. I just think I want to see him get uh, another head start. I want to see him like Eric Rowe thrive somewhere a team values him. Yeah. Like put him in a system where a team can let him shine as a ball hawk. Like to me, it represents a mismatch between what the coaching staff and the front office wanted, where the front office know the defense don't get turnovers. They draft in a rangy, gangly, like whacking, wailing, flailable arm, like cornerback who has just got all the wingspan in the world, dominant at the catch point, doesn't have the deep speed. Yeah. And then you're playing a system where you've often either got one single high safety or a cover two robber where that that Malcolm Jenkins role is going to come down and bite the crosser underneath. And if he does that, you've then got Rizal Douglas shading outside a player, expecting help help that isn't there and looking like he's being blasted half the time. So I I don't know. The fact they went to get Dexter McDougall on board instead of Rizal Douglas mid-season a couple of years ago said all I need to know. (laughs) I'd just rather see him get a good start somewhere else and, and end up with a trade or a move. And he's a smart man for lowering his contract and just putting it down to bare minimum so if a team wants to acquire him it costs them nothing if the Eagles want to cut him and he can land elsewhere it costs them nothing um, and if it comes down to a roster spot and it's him v someone else he's got a cheaper contract so I think he's a very smart guy he's aware of where he stands in the team um, and I just hope it all kind of works out for him same man same I, I do think he, I agree with you I think he has a lot of talent just not the right system for him to operate in right now um, I, I do want to shift gears I want to talk about the NBA because finally after you know three months without basketball um, the, NBA, the NBA finally has some concrete plans to return in Orlando on July 31st I'm going to take a, a moment to kind of spell out how this is going to look like for everybody who might not know um, the plan is to have 22 teams um, the 16 teams currently in the playoffs and then six teams that are currently within six games back of the eighth seed so those teams are washington portland san antonio new orleans phoenix and sacramento um and what it's going to look like is teams are going to play eight regular season games each um followed by a play-in tournament for the teams within four games after that initial eight game regular season uh uh, period with teams within four games of that eighth seed they're going to have a play-in tournament with the eighth seed the play-in tournament is going to be double elimination so if you're the team currently sitting at the eighth seed you're going to uh you're going to have to lose two games to lose that spot. Whereas if you're a team trying to play into the eighth seed, if you lose one game, you're out. Um, and after that eighth seed is settled, you're going to have basically what the, the regular playoffs would look like. And the last game is slated for, I believe, October 12th, which is, you know, hopefully I explained that to, to, uh, to confident to, to where people can understand that. Um, but I, I do want to get your thoughts on this setup. It's, I don't know. I'm in two minds about it purely because, seeing what other leagues are doing like the NHL is obviously coming back in a kind of similar fashion right I'm not an overly big fan of just getting a like as many teams as possible in like there's like how many teams actually miss the playoffs now technically it's like six isn't it or something like that like it's a really yeah, low it, number eight, eight teams in total will miss the or have not not have an opportunity to play 
yeah, that's like really lame. Like you've got three core. I get it from a marketing standpoint, but you're just rewarding mediocrity at that point. No. It'll be fun for the viewers no. to get some, you know, maybe wildcard teams, someone like uh, the Kings, I think are going to be a team that are like, oh, wow, okay, they're going to be playing in August. Who would have thought, right? Like that's new. Um, it's, I don't know. It's, it's intriguing. I think the scheduling is going to be important, though. Like, it's the same sort of thing with soccer, only that the NBA want to do like what back-to-back games in a day, don't they? Or do sort of like three or four in a day. Yeah. So it'll be sort of an extravaganza almost. And it'll feel like, I think, a summer league mixed with Olympic-style vibe of so much basketball at once and not knowing where to look. Um, I, I just... The, the, oh, it's really hard because I'm not a commissioner and there's a lot of weight on those decisions. Yeah. And you know that no matter what you say that every championship for that year will be marked with an asterisk. No matter who wins it, it'll be, yeah, but COVID year, you See, that, I had that it. debate with some of my, um, some of my, on my other podcast with some of my, uh, my roommate and one of my, one of my friends. Um, if, it, if anything, why, why is there an asterisk? Because if anything, everybody's playing under the same conditions, right? When I think about an asterisk championship, I think about Houston, right? They cheated. That's they they are playing sure. on a different playing field than everybody else. But if everyone's dealing with the same situation, why would there be an asterisk? You know what I'm saying? It's I think it's just mainly because you're taking out home court, you're taking out the usual process. So it's like, well, you won it in a year where every team had to go to Orlando and play under very different conditions to what they may be used to in a schedule that's different. And it's like not that I've ever advocate for that, but I can see where that debate would come from from the sour fans of the losing team. Mm-hmm. If that, do you know what I mean? Like if it ends going one way, and it's it's I like what they're doing in terms of keeping it fair. Like unlike the NHL, where they've got a five game series for the opening uh, qualifiers, and then after that it's all sevens, mm-hmm. and it's like that's fine. But if you're one of the the top four seeded teams, you play one game v each of those other teams. So that's three games then go straight into a seven-game series. So surely you'd think, well, you're not going to be able to keep up with seven games yeah. if you're not, your body's not ready for it. Like you've been off for a while. You then play three individual games over a week and now you've got seven. And then you're playing against a team you've come in off five. So it's like they're going to have a, an advantage, surely, in terms of like fitness and endurance. And that's a little bit sketchy. I don't know why you wouldn't keep the same format throughout. So... In, in comparison to that, I, I prefer the idea. Like, I like what they're doing. It's good, obviously, that we'll get an end to the season and a, a conclusion as opposed to leaving it up in the air or null and voiding it or any other kind of alternative. Um, I, I don't know where I stand on, on the Sixers entering it and how that's going to go, but I'll be interested for sure. I'm going to keep a very close eye on it and probably be a little bit more in tune with it than I am normally. Like normally I, I, I watch the Sixers games and then for some reason I like, I like watching Warriors games just because they're really, apart from this year, but that's right. really entertaining <laughs> because of the stars and the three-point shooting uh, and then all, all the playoffs. So I'm going to try and keep a little bit of a closer eye on the wider picture because it's just such a different circumstance that hopefully lend its way to some sort of unpredictability. Right. And, and the, you mentioned the, the home court advantage. That I think that's going to play a big part. It, it's going to mm. um, the, the, the team's ability to ride its own momentum in, in terms of like not, you know, if you're an away team going into a home team's uh, territory, you're going to have to deal with the crowd. And I, I know, yeah. you know from firsthand experience, I'm sitting here in Memphis and I know when teams come to Memphis, that's a very, very hard place to play in because 
that team rides the momentum of his crowd. Now you're going to have to garner that momentum really just from your bench. And that could be a, th- a tough thing to do. So I, I think it's really going to it's going to be basketball in a very pure form. There's not going to be a whole lot of extracurriculars around it, but the extracurriculars are part of what makes it so fun. So uh, when we think about that Kawhi photo from last year, the one that most like, I know that might have hurt you a little bit, but, um, you know, that, that, that iconic photo where he's like leaning back, watching his game winning shot go in and imagine there's no fans in that. That That's like a weird sort yeah. of vibe. Um, but, you know, these are the necessary steps that, steps that have to be taken um, just for the safety and precaution of everybody. Um, it's all, I almost feel like it's, you know, when you're if, if you're in a desert, right, and you've been stranded for three months without water, you could hand me a thimble of like sewer water. What? I'd probably <laughs> drink it. So it's like I could care less what it looks like as long as I'm getting it. But, you know, I do agree that it kind of solely's the uh, the experience a little bit now that you have so many teams playing in. But I also understand the fact that, you know, teams have to have an opportunity to at least make the playoffs. These teams would have had yeah. an opportunity throughout the rest of the regular season, especially with the Grizzlies having a tough a schedule as they do. To, to climb up and make their way into the playoffs. Um, and I'm sure from the NBA's point of view, you don't want to at least not give Zion Williamson an opportunity, right? Yeah, oh, if, yeah. if, if you could have that Pelicans team, who's essentially that the young Lakers team traded to New Orleans and Zion Williamson going up against the Lakers in that uh, first one, eight matchup, you're going to do that. If you have an opportunity, that's really what uh, I'm sure the NBA wants to see. Um, but I'm just glad they got the ball rolling. I do want to ask you though, who do you think is the biggest winner and the biggest loser from this, uh, from, from this from the system that they've cultivated oh see i think the biggest winner probably would would be someone like the pelicans or mm. the kings or one of the fringe teams that can come in right outside of that obviously the fans because they get basketball yeah um the, the biggest loser oh, probably someone like again like my basketball knowledge isn't that fantastic but right. someone like the, the celtics or the Sixers who would have probably had a not a relatively easy run in, but in comparison to so much pressure being placed on these games now, like you can afford to almost there's always that either end of season rise for teams or end of season slump. Yeah. Where it's like teams either can take ten games off and LeBron sits down and plays Scrabble on the sideline, or you've got the Warriors rotating guys in. Um, the Sixers have like Mike Scott doing Mike Scott things, and now all <laughs> of a sudden you, you don't get that, right. and every game means something, and your first game back. For the Sixers, who, regardless of where you stand on Brett Brown, he's had good moments, he's had bad moments, but his end-of-game adjustments just don't seem to exist. That's a worry, because you're going to go straight in with a lot of rust, with a coach who isn't ideally the best in those like late-game situations. Yeah. So would you want to see him in a late-game situation where it's do or die straight away? Probably not, and that's a little bit worrying. Especially when you're dealing with coaches in the Eastern Conference like Budenholzer, like uh, uh, Mike, or excuse me, Nick Nurse, like uh, uh, excuse me, what's the guy from the Celtics? I keep forgetting his name. Uh, oh, um, Brad Big Stevens. Brad, Brad Big, Stevens. Big Brad. <laughs> yeah, Big Brad Stevens. All those guys are highly intelligent coaches that do make those adjustments. So it could prove to be fatal for the 76ers. Uh, my winner, uh, like you said, the Pelicans. They get an opportunity to play in, but my loser. I'm going to flip you this, Liam. I think the Clippers are the biggest loser right now because throughout this entire regular season, right, what's been the theme for the Clippers? We don't really care about the regular season. We're load managing our players. We just want to make sure that we have uh, the best opportunity in the playoffs. We're going to rest our guys to make sure everyone's fresh. Well, guess what? 
Clippers, everybody's fresh now because everybody just took yeah. three months off. So, you know, now that the level, the, the, the what they tried to circumvent with trying to load manage their players, now everyone's on the same playing field from that standpoint. So I, I think the fact that, you know, LeBron's been essentially load managing for the past three months. So is AD, so is uh, the, the Thunder, so is every team in the NBA. Now your advantage is gone. So the everything that they try to do from a load man, a load managing standpoint, that's that's been negated. So I, I think that's why they're the biggest loser. Um, before we close out the sh- close out the show, I, I think we wouldn't be doing our job as analysts as journalists if we didn't talk about what, what's going on in America right now. And um, sure. I, I think from my vantage point, I'm seeing you know I'm hopeful because I see a real shift in ideology because more and more people are coming to the understanding right that police brutality racism and all its forms things like that it's not a political debate it's a these are objective realities in our society in american society and i think you have an interesting perspective on this because you know you're not from america you're from devon england and you know i i want to ask you what does it look like from your vantage point right now um what what's the perception from the outside looking in what like what 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 does it look like that's going on in america it's heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking. And I think for me, like my position's probably more unique than most in England because I run an American company. And most people I talk to on a daily basis, like I work on your time zone. All my writers are based out there. Yeah. Um, like we do daily live streams on Twitch and one of our like most dedicated followers on YouTube, Twitch and everything is in Minneapolis. So mm. it hits so close to home in something where we've tried to be so inclusive of every culture and every background and um, embracing everyone and bringing a community together to see it through. Like, I mean, it's in England, it's different because you get it through the news typically, right? Right. With me, like, I found myself the past couple of weeks glued to social media, refreshing Twitter at six in the morning, praying that I don't find someone that I know arrested, hurt, or even worse yeah. with what's going on. And um, like I've done all, I think, as, as much as we can to, to spread the right message. And like, I've done a video... Um, we're working on a week of charity events, hopefully at PSN. We did have a very, very big name on board with it, but he's taking some time out because of what's happening right now. Yeah. Um, just to try and raise some money for like the Philadelphia Bail Fund and the Minnesota Freedom Fund. But it's hard. And I think, I mean, especially here for me, where I live in a part of the country where it's not culturally diverse. And I promise you, I'm not exaggerating at all. I'm not saying this for effect because I'm not that type of guy. Right. The school I went to, okay, so you've got to imagine Devon is very much like the like a small town in Texas level of England. Gotcha. Right. It's like right in the bottom corner. Not a lot goes on. Five hours away from London. Um, no major airports. So most... Our predominant uh, ethnicity is white and Caucasian. Mm -hmm. And my school, like in my year at school, okay, so like my, I don't know what you call it in America, but like your age range of just one year, Mm -hmm. there was one black person in the entire school. That was it, right? So what we find in my area and what is heartbreaking is that there's just this, there's so much racism because people don't understand and they've not lived lives in culturally diverse areas. And there are other areas in England where there are, and like Birmingham and London, where it's a mix of everything and it's so embraced and empowered. Um, When you then get to Devon and it's just generations who grow up, stay, have kids who grow up, stay, and they don't move and they don't see the wider world and they don't check social media and it's all very introverted. Trying to talk out to them doesn't work. 
and it's really hard. So we had a flurry of Facebook posts recently. Our town held a protest for it. A younger generation held a Black Lives Matter protest. Mm-hmm. And the amount of ignorant and bigoted statuses on Facebook from an older generation that were like, ah, oh, COVID's more important. It's like, no, right. no, it's not. Like, right. let's have a discussion now. Like, this is what it's for. And trying to use the opportunity to actually educate people in my own area has been just as important as trying to educate people who are living that in America and still don't agree with it. So it's, it's just a horrible spot to be in because you're seeing people that you previously liked and looked up to, someone like a yeah. Drew Brees, for instance, yeah. come out with uh, Jake Fromm, like statements or ideologies that just don't sit in today's society that are outdated and ignorant at the very best to say the least. Like you got a lot deeper into that. Um, and it's just trying to, I think, educate people as best as we can. It's just a a very hard time. And like, I'm happy that there's finally action and that people are speaking up. And like, I remember growing up, I had a pair of wristbands and they were from Nike. And I don't know if you ever had the campaign in America, but one was black and one was white and they were interlinked. And it was just stand up, speak up to kick out racism in football. Mm-hmm. And I wish they'd come back because I, I want, I've tried to find mine the other day. Like I love that, that concept, but um, it's just a, a really scary time. I think it's needed, uh, especially with all the energy pent up around, covid and staying inside people are a lot more angrier anyway yeah. donald trump is only fueling it and not that i would ever encourage that in the slightest but i think it is driving people to be more outspoken with their views because there is so much rage added to the already pent-up aggression and and anguish so you've got all this stuff going on and trump saying the most ridiculous statements it's encouraging people who may not have previously attended a protest or shared a statement on social media or watched a film that's going to educate them on the matter yeah. to do that because it's, it's like an, another fuel adding to it. Like where maybe I didn't have the most valid reason before, but now I do. Um, and that's a positive. Like overall, if something positive comes from this and we do get change and policing is changed and the way it's approached is changed, then that's brilliant. But I think it just has to take consistency and everyone's got to keep doing that bit. Like my, I'm sorry for ranting about this. No, you good, man. Thing, this is all great. Uh, like my main thing the other day on Facebook was like, especially in my area, I feel like on Twitter, I'm preaching to Philadelphia and I'm trying to rally everyone and be like, go do the thing that like, this is so important. Yeah. On Facebook, it's just people from my town. They don't really care what I do. To uh, They don't really know or understand the following that I have or don't have. Mm-hmm. So to them, it's like, look, go change your picture and make it black for a day. That's great. Well done. Like Carly Jenner did it. You've, you've copied. Brilliant. Well done. Yeah. You, you now understand that you can't just take that off and do nothing. Like, it, this isn't just a trend. Like, go and do something now. Like, go and donate to a charity. Share something. Help a friend. Change your parent's mind. Go out and be a part of the solution. Don't just sit in silence and change your picture because you can say, you can do something without having to say anything and stand up and, like, say it with your chest you know yeah. like it's the easiest thing to hide behind the old black profile picture done my bit done my bit yeah it's the easiest cop out ever like no go and do something go and make a difference and i think that's my main push now for people in england at least is just to go and do something more than doing nothing or like changing a picture yeah. like have an impact and especially in this part of the, the country change someone's mind because there's so much of it. It's a right wing part of the country. I hate it with all my heart. Uh, just is, it's not time for that anymore. Like we're as a society, I think we've outgrown that 
And the only positive I can see from this, as of right now, genuinely, are kids who are seeing that Nickelodeon advert or who yeah. have grown up with iPads in their faces from parents taking pictures 24-7 and are now seeing all this stuff on their Facebook page or on their Twitter and going, Mum, what's that? Mum, why is that black man dead? Mum, why is that black man being attacked for no reason? Yeah. And the, if the mum can't answer and the parent can't answer, the kid questions it. And the kid then grows up with an idea that that's not right and I've got to do something. And if anything, the generation after ours, I think, will be in a much better spot to abolish this completely. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that was that was great, man. That that was truthfully great. And, and you know, I, I think a lot of people, they don't really they don't really see like li- liberal and conservative when it relates to other countries. It's because we're so American focused yeah. that we, we don't really even think about um, how this issue pervades itself in other countries. Um, and when, when the, I'm so glad you made the comparison about like a rural country in, in Texas, right? Or a rural city in Texas. It's essentially you're dealing with a lot of the same issues that we are. And you brought up the yeah. point of doing something beyond just the social media things that are going around. And, you know, something that I've seen a lot and that I, I really take personally is the 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 idea of what when, when it's 20 30 years down the line and you have kids and you have grandkids and they ask you about these things and what you did during this time what are you going to yeah. have to say for it are you going to have yeah. to say i posted a lot on social media i tried to raise awareness on social media or are you going to have an actual impact and i think that's that's something yeah. that needs to be stressed you know as much as possible by people in our position because again this isn't this isn't a situation where it's a matter of politics this is an objective reality that has to be changed and i, yeah. I wholeheartedly believe that and it's encouraging to see that people in your position do as well even even outside of the country um so i, I commend you i commend you and your people for for everything that you're doing for this cause and in general man philly sports network is honestly it's one of the better networks that i've come across in terms of covering uh, uh, sports it's very nuanced and i think that's something that's missing a lot in sports and media today is the actual education of the 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 audience and trying to teach people about the functions of sport and trying to educate people about, you know, these things that are going to be ultimately important to their teams. And you guys do such a great job at, of it. You know, those of you listening right now, if, if you're a fan of Philly, Philadelphia sports, if you're a fan of quality sports content in general, you know, please go check out Philly Sports Network because they do a great job. Liam, you do an excellent job, man. You, you, you've proven yourself to be a great leader. And, uh, you know, I, I commend you and respect you for that, man. I mean, so like, man, honestly, I'm going to try not to cry now and get too sorry, but, uh, nah, it, it means a lot. And I think that when this all kicked off and started, you know, with the heartbreaking events we saw with George Floyd, it was like, I know we were one of the first outlets to come out and say, like, just, just a straight statement of Black Lives Matter. And yeah. it's not political. Like you said, it's coming out and trying to make a difference. And I felt a weight of responsibility on YouTube, knowing that I didn't, I couldn't sleep at night posting Eagles content as usual for a week without addressing yeah, it. Like exactly. I had to do so. So I made the video. Um, we've done campaigns like we're trying to get athletes on board um, because we've got an audience on YouTube of 20,000 people. Some of them don't like me because I'm British. And I mean, <laughs> that's a discussion in itself. But um, when I've got an audience there who are mostly in America and living that, if I can change one person's mind, then I've done something, Amen. you know, and I wish I could do more. If I could fly to Philadelphia amidst the COVID stuff and help, I would. Um, it, I just have to kind of do what I can from afar, man. But I, I'm glad that it is being sort of recognized and it is having an impact because that's all we really strive to do. And just to touch on, I think really quickly, like the PSN stuff mm-hmm. and what is important around that, 
um, I feel like us, it's always been there's a line of, um, there's like clickbait and there's newspapers and there's nothing in the middle that gets the depth of a newspaper without the clickbaity nastiness and, you know, the using certain topics for views and prying on that. So for us to try and just blend those two and find the ultimate medium has always been the aim. And I'm glad that's coming up as well, man. Man, yeah, uh, that's something that, you know, I've taken upon myself to try to figure out where that balance is as well between entertaining content, but also content that has some substance to it. Right. Um, and I, I think that's where the next direction is going to be taking in sports media. And, you know, if I, if I can say so, I, I think PSN is, you know, part of at the forefront of what that's going to look like in the future, man. Thanks. I hope so. That means a lot, mate. Um, I really appreciate it. And keep doing your thing as well. Like yeah, if there's anything I can do, just give me a shout. Yes, sir. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate you. You do the same. And they were, of course, I'll be around. I'll be around now. You won't be able to get rid of me that easily. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about it. All right, the, Liam, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Hey, anytime, anytime. Huge thanks again to Liam for coming on the show. That that was Liam Jenkins of Philly Sports Network again. You guys make sure you go check that out. They make really, really good content, man. I very much like what they do. Before I get up out of here, y'all, I want to I want to talk about uh, I'm sure a lot of you that are listening to this are familiar with the piece that I put out this week, um, the, a letter to my white friends. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel truly blessed that that piece has, you know, reached as many people that it has and it's been able to have the platform to impact as many people as it has. Um, but I do want to talk about this idea of activism real quick. And, you know, a lot of people in seeing that I published this piece, you know, they've they've started to reach out to me and, you know, commend me for my activism and, you know, tell me that I'm in this long line of people that, that are doing activists, you know, like things. And earlier in the show, I talked about the idea that we are shifting as a country, we're shifting our ideology and we are changing from this idea that racism and police brutality are things to be discussed in a political sense to what it should have been the entire time, which is that these are realities that need to be addressed. They're not up for debate. It's not in question. It's not a conversation that needs to be had. These are objective realities that black people have to face in this country. And I think it's important to address that in writing my piece, I was simply relaying my experience and the experiences of many as black people in this country. And along with that shift in ideology, I think it's important to stress the fact that that does not make me an activist. Now, I'm always going to use my platform to advocate for social justice, to speak about the things that matter to me, that should matter to this country. But I think it's important that we all acknowledge Saying Black Lives Matter does not make you an activist. In this day and age, saying Black Lives Matter, all that makes you is a reasonable person. 
a reasonable, rationally thinking person. We have to shift our mindset away from saying, if I think police brutality is a reality for black people in this country, that makes me some some kind of social justice warrior. No, that makes you a rational human being that sees an issue. Just like looking up in the sky and saying the sky is blue. What I did with my piece is I, I relayed my experience as a black man in this country. And I'm, I'm going to keep this brief so I, I don't go over the hour. But I do want to say I, I, I hesitate to put the label activist upon myself because there are people out there that do a lot more than I do. There are people out there that that organize these protests that that, you know, stand on the front line, stand toe to toe with these officers that, that you know, do the groundwork in the back rooms, trying to make sure that that policies are changed. Those people are the activists, man. I communicated my experience in a way that resonated with a lot of people. And I communicated the idea that white people cannot sit silently. That does not make me an activist. It makes me a reasonable person. And in this day and age, if you can't stand up, resoundly state Black Lives Matter, if you can't sit back and observe everything that's going on and say without a shadow of a doubt, police brutality is a problem, Racism in all of its forms, overt, covert, systematic, institutional, that's a problem. If you can't say that much, the days are numbered that your viewpoint is going to be welcome in this country. Because like I said, the ideology is shifting. The ideology is shifting. With that said, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Reagan Griffin Jr. Show. Thank you guys all so much for tuning in. Hopefully you got a little something. I got to talk about my Eagles for the first time in forever, man. Forever. Thankful, man. Thankful for Liam for coming on the show. Awesome time. I'll make sure I keep you guys updated. Make sure you go follow Twitter and Instagram at the RG2 show. That is at the RG2 show. Thank you guys so much, and I will see you next week.